from the New King James Version. And Paul writes to this church. He says, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. And come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as I myself. But each one has his own gift from God. One in this manner and another in that. So let me talk for a few moments with your prayers and with the help of the Holy Spirit, sex in the state of marriage. Sex in the state of marriage. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for an opportunity to open up the word. And as we have opened up the word, Lord, we open up our hearts. And we say, Lord, have your way. We all have biases and preconceptions about various subjects in the Bible, including this one. Some of us know a whole lot. Some of us know very little. But Lord, we all need to continue to have our minds transformed. We need a kingdom perspective today. Because just as in Corinth, we are inundated with sexual messages everywhere all the time. And yet, Lord, you call us somehow to be in this world, but not of it. To be people who are wise as serpents, yet harmless as doves. So would you teach us, Lord, as Christians, not only for ourselves, but also for our children and for our co-workers and our neighbors and our family members who may not be as in tune with you as we strive to be. Thank you, Lord, that as I teach, I'm speaking to teachers. I'm speaking to people who will go and make disciples. So thank you, Lord, for what we're about to receive. Holy Spirit, teach us, strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sex in the state of marriage. In 1991, while I was still in seminary, the rap group Salt and Pepper came out with a song entitled, Let's Talk About Sex. And I've come to realize that the world is quicker to talk about sex than the church is. The church, Christians, we, we love to talk about marriage, but we are slow to talk about sex in marriage. And in my mind, we are the most qualified to talk about marriage as well as sex in marriage because we have a relationship with the creator of the institution. And so, if anything, 
we should be ones who speak up and speak out. We know that the act of sex is precious and private. But the conversation of sex, when led by Christians, should be prudent and public. Let's say that one more time. The, the act of sex is precious and private, but the conversation of sex, especially when led by Christians, should be prudent as well as public. We should talk about sex and not just leave that to the world to talk about sex. God created sex, and he created it to be experienced and enjoyed within the state of marriage. Uh, go back a couple of weeks, and you can grab that message that I spoke from chapter 7, verse 1. But Genesis chapter 2, verse 25 says, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. That's Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. And that comes right after verse 24, where he says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Then God says, as it pertains to Adam and Eve, that they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So other than your doctor, uh, the only other person you should be naked with should be your spouse. It doesn't say the man and his girlfriend were naked. It doesn't say uh, the girlfriend and her boyfriend. No, no, it says the man and his wife were naked and not ashamed. Because they had God's blessing on their union. And there's nothing like having God's blessing and God's hand on your life, that you're doing things his way and with his full support. So they were naked and not ashamed. Therefore, we don't need to be ashamed to read about sex in the Bible. We don't need to be ashamed to preach about sex in the Bible. And you don't need to be ashamed to hear about sex in the Bible. Again, this is God's idea. This is his creation. And I remember the first time I ever heard a preacher really deal with sex in the Bible from the pulpit on a Sunday morning was when I went to Virginia, Portsmouth, and I heard Pastor Alan McFarlane preach on sex in the Bible. Now, at that time, I was dating Darina. We were dating. And so we would leave from school and drive three and a half hours to go into Portsmouth. And he got up and he preached on sex. And I have never heard a preacher go into such depth about sex in my life. Um, if I were of a lighter melanin, you would have seen me blushing that Sunday morning. I mean, <laughs> and he was coming from Proverbs chapter 5. And I'll never forget it because my father-in-law is a stutterer, and every now and then he gets hung up on words, especially words that start with B. So when he got to verse 18, where it says that her breasts shall satisfy you at all times, he started stuttering. He said, and let her, and let her, I was like, come on, man, you can say it, breasts, I was like, oh, he said it. Oh, boy, but, but it's nothing like the first time when I preached about sex and marriage here at Strong Tower. Oh, boy, I still remember. We were at the Y, the first Y, 
Darina wasn't there that Sunday, and I, I did my best. I preached on sex and marriage as a young pastor. And I came home from church, and Darina said, because she, she stayed home because she wasn't feeling well, and, and she said, Chris, what did you preach on today? And because I didn't really want to have a long conversation, I lied. <laughs> and I said, uh, I preached about sailing today. I preached about sailing. She's like, oh, that's odd. She went on about her business. Well, the next day she felt better and went to the grocery store that Monday morning and ran into one of our church members in Kroger. Church member comes up to my wife and says, oh, I'm sorry you missed yesterday. Your husband dropped some knowledge that was transformational in my life. I'm so grateful for the things he said yesterday. My wife uh, looked at the woman and says, um, I'm surprised to hear that because he, when, when he speaks on this, he, he's only done it twice. And the first time he did it, his hat blew off. <laughs> then the second time he did it, he got sick to his stomach and threw up and said he's not doing it anymore. <laughs> Sex in the state of marriage. <laughs> I have three points for you today from the text. The first point is, get your own. Second point is, render to your own. And thirdly, pray with your own. Amen. Let's go to point number one. Get your own. Look at verse one and two. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. And so because of the sexual pervasive culture of Corinth, um, which again is very much like the world in which we live in, there's nothing new under the sun, Paul was saying that one um, remedy to the reality of gross immorality in the culture is to get married. Now, when he says here in our English Bible, uh, sexual immorality, that's the Greek word pornea, where we get pornography from, which speaks of illicit sexual activity. Now, the thing about this word is that it's in the plural, porneas. So speaking of all these things that are going on in the culture, because it's everywhere all the time in front of you, it is gross. And Paul is saying to the church, based on this reality, there is a remedy to get your own. Now, before I even get into that, let me say something about sex. Um, sex is like fire. And fire can either destroy or it can warm it can benefit you. And sex should be in marriage, just like fire should be in a stove or in a fireplace. Because when fire is in the right place, it can aid you and help you and encourage you. But when fire is out of the fireplace and in the living room or out in the community, 
That's destructive and devastating. So God created this fiery experience to be experienced within the confines of marriage, the fireplace of marriage, and not out in the world where it destroys and tears down not only adults, but also children. And so Paul is saying, yes, there's a reality here. Sex is all over the place, but let me tell you of the remedy. Have your own wife or have your own husband. Now, I want you to hear me clearly on this. Sex is a reason to get married, but sex should not be the reason to get married. Uh-huh, you hear me? It shouldn't be the reason. And I know for Christians, as we encourage abstinence, not only for our young adults, but for our older adults, abstinence, 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 which is the will of God, sometimes as we encourage abstinence, we make sex to be the end-all thing in marriage, sex in marriage to be the end-all goal of a relationship. Just wait till you get married, wait till you get married. And a lot of our young people don't know how to develop social skills and, and how to have relationships with people of the opposite sex that are proper and right and healthy. We're just told, don't have sex till you get married. Don't have sex till you get married. And so that becomes the driving goal. And so when there's a burn of passion that he talks about in verse 9, then a lot of times Christians who are practicing abstinence as a lifestyle look at marriage as the out that, man, okay, I can finally fulfill this burn and, and get a fireplace relationship. Now, again, that is true. But we should not let that be the driving force in a relationship because sex should not be the main factor of a relationship between a husband and a wife. It's a reason, but it shouldn't be the reason. And we know of some couples who got married, listen to this, because of eros. Eros is a Greek word that speaks of erotic love, romantic love, sexual love. They got married because they were driven by eros. But they realized that eros isn't enough to sustain the marriage because they didn't take the time to build phileo love. Phileo love is tender affection, brotherly, sisterly love. You know, you just love each other because you like each other. But then there's also, above all, agape love. And that's the selfless love. That is the love that says, I will deny myself in order to meet the need that you have. It is a love that is based on no conditions. It is unconditional. It's a giving of self to serve others. And so if you're driven by eros, and you don't have phileo or agape, which primarily is spiritual love, first and foremost, agape. God loved us first. He teaches us what love is like. God is the ultimate one who sacrifices to teach us how to sacrifice. And if we don't understand agape and phileo, but all we have is eros, that marriage won't make it long. And you have people who got married for that reason, and they're still together, but they're not having eros anymore, and they don't have phileo or agape. They're just roommates. So if that's you, what do you do? Because back in the day, 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 there was shotgun weddings. If you're fooling around and you got somebody pregnant, you're going to marry that person, even if you didn't have feelings for them. You got married, and a lot of people were forced into relationships because they would, you know, what they say, two wrongs don't make a right. 
And they got into a marriage, but they didn't have time. They didn't take time because they were so driven by the flesh and what is physical. And they're just together, but they don't really have phileo or agape. And if that's you, what do you do? You're in a loveless marriage, and in many ways, a sexless marriage. What do you do? You do what he's going to talk about a little bit later. You pray and you fast. You say, listen, we may not have got started on the right path. We may have gotten into this relationship the wrong way. Somebody's got to be the leader and say, but I believe that God is a redeemer. I believe that God is a restorer. He can give life to the dead. He can make all things new. So we are going to go before God together and ask him to rain down on us phileo love for each other and unconditional love because of his grace and that he give us a new relationship. Because if you haven't done that yet, don't come see me. Oh, but that was too hard. Well, that was too hard. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say, you know. I work for the miracle maker. I'm not the miracle maker. And a lot of it has to do with where's your heart? Because something had to click at least for a moment for y'all to lay down together. Mm -hmm. So ask him to restore that spark and some other sparks as well. Pray fast together as a couple. If your marriage is lackluster and boring and stale, oh, it's just dead. Ask the Lord together. Lord, which means you got to soften your heart. Because you got couples whose hearts are so hard. And that's why Moses permitted divorce in the wilderness, because folks' hearts were hard. But that was not God's intention from the beginning. It was always one man, one woman, one lifetime. That's the ideal. Then the ordeal entered in, and folks said, I want a new deal. God says to some of y'all, no deal. Get your heart soft. How you get your heart soft? Repent. Confess your sin. Go before God and apologize. Who are you to hold a grudge against someone when God doesn't hold a grudge against you? And again, don't come to the preacher asking me to resurrect your marriage. Listen, Moses could part the Red Sea, but he couldn't make one heart soft. That's your responsibility before God. And ask him, Lord, renew our marriage in every way. So we see the reality. It's a sexually pervasive culture. The remedy, get your own husband, get your own wife, get your own, get your own, not somebody else's, get your own, not a girlfriend, get your own, not a boyfriend, get your own wife, husband, get your own, do it right. But before I move on to my second point, I got to give you a regulation that I see up in here. Boy, I don't know if you want my job after I say what I'm about to say. Because it's not popular, it's countercultural, it's not going to make people like me, but I'm not in it for the likes. This ain't Facebook preaching. I ain't in it for the likes. Y'all clapping, I ain't even told y'all the regulation yet. <laughs> Here it is. When Paul's writing, all he talks about is husband and wife. Husband and wife. He does not say husband and husband. He does not say wife and wife. He is not promoting homosexual unions, lesbian unions. He's not promoting that. 
The only marriage that God promotes is the one he created and established from the beginning. One man, one woman, one lifetime, period. I know, that's, I know that messes with some of us, and I'm sorry about that. But think about this, though. When he's saying husband, wife, and he's using Greek words that speak of a man and a woman in the Greek. So there's no question here. And this is a sexually pervasive culture in Corinth and here. And in chapter 6, he talks about some of y'all were fornicators. Some of y'all were adulterers. Some of y'all were homosexuals and sodomites. But he goes on to say, that's what you used to be. Okay? But you got washed and justified and all of that. You, you got changed. Now, just because they got changed positionally with God, he changed their nature. And they're in process. Do you not think they were still struggling with these things? Of course they were still struggling. Just because I got saved from homosexuality yesterday and being a practicing homosexual doesn't mean all of a sudden that desire, that urge, those temptations are gone. Some of those people are probably going to grapple with those things until they meet Jesus. Others may be delivered immediately. It's different for all of us. But Paul is not going to let people that he loves, he loves, and their real experience with same-sex attraction, or their experiences of homosexuality in the past, or lesbianism, he's not going to let that change the word that he has to deliver to them. So as a pastor, I can't change the word in order to accommodate people and make them feel better about their sin. I can't do that. I'm, I'm not that kind of tickle-your-ear preacher. Now, there are homosexual churches out here and all that kind of stuff, but I, think, uh, I don't think God is a part of that because the overwhelming message of the Bible is heterosexual marriage. You got to try to dig and, and, and make Scripture say what you want them to say to support your view, and, uh, and that's a dangerous thing to do. So Paul lets it be known here that it's one man, one woman, one lifetime, not men with men and women with women. Now, me saying that does not mean that I hate gay people. I don't hate gay people. No, no, man. I don't hate gay people. I love gay people. This doesn't mean that I'm afraid of them or I'm a homophobe. No, I'm not a homophobe. I just respectfully disagree with you. I just disagree with your lifestyle. And we have to get back to a place in America where we can love people and disagree with them. I love you. I don't agree with that. But don't try to manipulate me to say that if I love you, that means I condone what you do. I don't condone, neither do I condemn. It's my prayer that God's love would compel both of us to grow closer to him. But I'm not going to change the word. We must change to the word. So Paul lets it be known, man, woman, man, woman, even in that culture. So by the authority of Scripture, I speak in this culture. I don't care what the government allows, what the government does. I won't perform same-sex marriages. And if that means we lose tax-exempt status, so be it. Perhaps the church has to go through a wave of persecution before the return of Jesus. So... I can't change the word. We have to change to the word. And we have to love people well. We have to love them well. We have to acknowledge their struggle, especially those who want help, who want 
the Lord to change their lives. That's what we're there for. We're not there to beat them over the head. We're there to love them the way Jesus loves us. Well, let me move on to my second point. Can I get one amen before I move on? I, I just thank you. I feel so much better. Who want my job? You anybody want my job? No, no, we all have this job to preach the truth in love. Secondly, after you get your own, you get, get your own, get your own. After you get your own, you got to render to your own. Here we go. Verse 3. There's some work to do. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise the wife, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So, so you got to render. That's what he says in verse 3. Render to his wife. So we're talking now about mutual, equal, and exclusive responsibility. Mutual, equal, and, res and, and exclusive responsibility within the covenant of marriage. First thing I want you to see is that the husband has a responsibility to render to his wife due affection. The husband has a responsibility to render to his wife due affection. What I love about the Apostle Paul he breaks down walls and barriers that religion puts up. Because what he's doing here, you may have missed it, but he's honoring women. Because so often marriage, especially sex and marriage, has been geared towards the man's desires and what the man wants. And it's almost as if the woman is just a sanctified sex slave in many Christian circles. That she doesn't have a say in anything. She doesn't have desires of her own. She's just there to comply. But Paul flips this thing, and he says, because he knows he has some Jewish people in his audience who disrespect Jewish women, where there are Jewish men who thank God that they weren't born Gentile and they weren't born women. These are the, this was the mindset of many of the Jewish men who would relegate women to the status of property from the commandments where it says, you shall not covet your neighbor's ox or anything, and his wife and his servants. And so they would say that a woman is on the level of things that are owned. But he gives women power in these two verses by saying that a woman has sexual desires, but he also says a woman has authority over her husband's body. It's not just he has authority over hers. Are y'all still hanging with a brother? So there is this mutual, equal, and exclusive responsibility that they have. So the wife has affection, and the husband is to render to her. He is to minister to her. He is to serve her. Wow, this is beautiful. It's going to get even more beautiful when I tell you what this word render means in the Greek language. This word render means to pay what is owed. To pay what is owed. In other words, the husband has a debt to pay to his wife. And it is a debt of affection. Not always sex, but a debt of affection. And this word render, pay, what it, it, it's a word that speaks of, uh, it's used in the financial world. And we see this in Matthew 22, verse 21. Same word, where Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. 
and render to God the things that are God. In other words, pay what is owed to Caesar, pay what is owed to God. Husbands, pay what is owed to your wife as it pertains to affection. So the wife has a bill of affection that only her husband can pay. Her husband. Nobody else can pay this bill. You know why nobody else can pay this bill? Because this bill is registered in your name. The husband's name. You can't send somebody else to go pay your bill because that bill is not registered in their name. It's registered in your name. So when you said, I do, you registered in one another's names. And the bill for her affection has your name on it. So husbands, are you paying your bills? (laughs) Are you paying your bills on time? (laughs) are you rendering affection because there can be frustration in a marriage when there's not the rendering of affection being done and once again you're the only person that can pay this bill somebody else can help with the light bill somebody else can help with the cable bill but can't nobody else help with this bill (laughs) and then he says The wife has a responsibility to render to her husband affection that is due him. So he has desires. She has desires. He can meet her desires. He's the only one and she's the only one who can meet his. So it's a privileged place. We should take pride in the fact that I'm the only one that can minister this way to my spouse. Can't nobody else minister to my spouse like this except me. And so the wife has to render or pay what is owed to her husband. The husband has a bill that only she can pay. And so wives, are you paying your bills? (laughs) Are you paying your bills on time? Because once again, you're the only one registered to pay that bill. I know what some of y'all are saying. But he hands me a bill every other day. I I, I just, sometimes twice a day, I don't know what's going on. Well, for the Eros love bite to work, the erotic, romantic love to work in a marriage, both of you need to make more deposits than you do withdrawals. I said that thing right there. I said that. You got to make more deposits than you do withdrawals. Same in the world of our financial banking. If you keep making withdrawals, you're going to go bankrupt. But you got to make deposits. And if both spouses are depositing into the love bank, then both spouses will be fulfilled. But usually there's one that may struggle or go through a hard time season. And so what do you do? You got to keep thinking of your mate's needs more than your own which means you need more agape than you need more eros. Because agape will say, you know what? I know things are not going as well as I may like in our marriage right now as it pertains to eros, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be like Jesus, and and I'm just going to forgive that debt. She doesn't owe me sex. He doesn't owe me sex. You know what? I'm not keeping score. Love doesn't keep a record. Now, again, there there, there are needs that I have that only he can meet. 
But sometimes life happens, and, and I'm not going to hold it over his head or her head if my needs are met, which means I've got to be selfless and give and selfless and understand. And as we do more agape, phileo, and eros, they come right along. So sometimes you just got to say, man, I'm waving this. You, you don't owe me anything. I know you're the only one that can pay this and help me and minister to me. But I de- the conditions are not ideal right now. Well, let me move on to mutual, equal, and exclusive authority. The wife has authority over her husband's body. Again, unheard of, but this is the kingdom of God. This is not the old order of things. This is a new covenant Paul is speaking as an apostle under the authority of God, and when he said that word, it may not have really messed with the Gentiles much, but he knew there was a reckoning with his Jewish audience when they heard this, that a woman has authority over her husband's body. Wow. So a wife can say to her husband, you know what, Um, I would like to have relations with you. And she doesn't have to feel prudish or feel like she's out of order. No, no, that, that, that's her husband. She has that right. The marriage bed, Hebrews 13, 4, is undefiled. This is mutual and exclusive. This is just not one him and, no, no, you ladies, wives. Reminds me of a lady and a, her, her husband who created their own kind of a language for when she was in that place where she wanted to have relations with her husband. Um, she would, they worked this thing out where she would walk in front of him and, and do a zipper real quick. Pull the zipper down and pull it back up. <laughs> so that was like their signal, like, okay, okay, zip, 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 zip. So one day, again, at the grocery store, she, she's shopping and, and she comes home and, and she's feeling like, man, I want to be with my husband. I want to have affection with my husband. And so she comes into the driveway. She sees that her husband is under the car. He's working on the car. So she grabs a grocery bag. She begins to go into the house. And as she walks by, she looks around to see if any neighbors are looking. And she reaches down. She zips his zipper down and up real quick. Zip, zip. She walks into the kitchen, excited that she gave him the message. And then her husband greets her inside. (laughs) I says, hey, babe, where you been? She said, "Uh, I've been to the grocery store. Who's that outside under your car? Oh, that's Bert from next door. <laughs> so be careful with your signals. <laughs> Don't get them mixed up. Some of y'all will get that on the way home. Um, <laughs> the husband has authority over the wife's body. The wife has authority. So this is this mutual thing, which means, listen to this. It speaks of communication. Communication. That you must communicate your desires. You must communicate because there's mutual authority. Oh, boy. And so the the wife's body is what the Bible calls the husband's nakedness. Because a woman's nakedness, there's a different glory on a woman's body than a man's body. We won't get into all of that. You can read Genesis and you can see that. He saved the best for last. God saved the best for last. And in the Bible, it talks about a man's wife being his nakedness. And so, my wife's nakedness is my nakedness, not anyone else's nakedness. 
And so there should be, again, a, 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 a good pride in knowing she belongs to me, I belong to her, and there are certain things that we share that no one else shares. So there's this exclusivity, this mutual empowerment and equality that Paul is arguing for in the Christian marriage. And I would venture to say most of us did not hear these things before we got married. We're operating off of something we saw, something we thought, as opposed to what the scripture says. Thirdly and finally, after you get your own and render to your own, you, you have to pray with your own. I told you that eros is not all that there is in a marriage. Because there's distance and going through physical changes and physical maladies. Sex does not always happen. But the spiritual should. I should have got at least half an amen. I should have got an A on that. It's the spiritual. It's our connection to God and one another spiritually that brings the kind of oneness that even sex can't bring. And so we need to pray with our own. Verse 5, Paul, what you're saying? Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. All right, watch this. I told you Corinth was sexually pervasive. Christians were getting saved out of that. And when some got saved out of that, they went all the way to the right. I mean, they went all the way to the extreme, I should say. And there were people who got married, but they weren't having sexual relations in marriage because they were seeing marriage as a, I mean, sex and marriage as either something dirty was just something that they didn't want to do. They didn't feel like doing it. And so what would happen is people were practicing celibacy in marriage. And it appeared to be a unilateral decision by one of the spouses. That they shut everything down unilaterally. Which meant that one spouse was using sexual deprivation as a weapon of control against the other. So they're married, but somebody's saying, I don't want to have sex at all. And so they're depriving the other. And so Paul has to say, do not deprive one another, except with consent for a time. Because, how do I say this? Married people are supposed to do what married people do, which is have sexual relations. Single people are not supposed to do what married people do. So sex is a benefit of marriage. So if you get into marriage and you are not, not only a benefit, sex is another form of communication in marriage. It's another form of communication between husband and wife. And if that's not happening, there will be frustration and will open the door to temptation. And Paul says, y'all need to sit down and conversate and this thing needs to be about consent, mutual consent, which means a husband and a wife needs to talk about their sex life as a couple. And they have to agree if there's going to be abstinence in the marriage, they need to agree together on the length of time that they will abstain. Then he's going to come back later and say, let me tell you the motivation anyway for abstinence. It is that you may give yourselves to prayer and fasting. 
You're just not doing this because you feel like doing this. And, and no, no, the motivation for abstinence in a marriage where two people are able to have sex, the motivation is you fast sex so that you could pray. Fasting is when you deny yourself natural appetites and you just deny feeding your body natural appetites that you may grow spiritually that you may pray, that you may focus on something that God is trying to teach you, show you. You're asking for him to do something, so you're denying natural food, sometimes drink, and, and all that. You're denying your natural cravings to grow spiritually. That's fasting. And Paul says here, if there's going to be abstinence in the marriage, if you're going to fast, pray together. So this tells me again that there are things that a married couple can do. If one can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. When a husband and wife come together, it's just more than producing children and having sexual relationships and getting a house and a picket fence and a dog. Y'all can do things together in the heavenly places when two of you agree on earth on anything. <laughs> Which is why Satan works so hard to divide and conquer because two, Ecclesiastes 4 says, are better than one. Something happens when a husband and wife says, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to fast TV. I'm going to fast uh, meat. I'm going to fast sugar. But you know what? L let's fast in the bedroom for X amount of time. And we agree on it together. Wow. What's that thing that you want to see God do that he just hasn't done yet? What have you been praying over and over and over again? But it just maybe y'all should fast. Paul is going to say now, I'm not commanding this. It's just a concession, something for you to think about doing. And so as you leave church today and you sit down at lunch, maybe this is something you talk about. Maybe this is what you have to do to save your marriage or to ask God to bring the spark back, not only of eros but of agape and phileo. Maybe we should attack this together in prayer and fasting. Because like Jesus said with this one demon, some stuff won't come out without prayer and fasting. Let's use that weapon and not use sexual deprivation as a weapon. Well, Paul, who was a single man, gave people within the state of marriage wisdom about sex. A single man. So, so this tells me again, when God gives you wisdom, wisdom from the book, and Paul even had deeper revelation as an apostle, that wisdom can come from various channels, which means married people can give wisdom to single people, and single people can give wisdom to married people, as long as it's consistent with the book. And this pastor speaks to this church, and from this we saw that we should all get our own, we should render to our own, and we should pray with our own. When was the last time y'all had some good prayer time together on your knees instead of fighting about this or that? We're going to fight together on our knees. Well, before I took off to go to Atlanta and then to Maryland and D.C., I celebrated my 51st birthday. And uh, my wife gave me a gift that I've wanted. She got me a really good record player. I mean, it, it, it's a nice record player because I had one of our members bless me with a stack of old school 
LPs. I mean, all the old school stuff. So I said, I got to upgrade my system. So I got a system that didn't have a, my first one had a belt. This one has a motor. The first one had a plastic arm. This one has a metal arm. The other one had the little speakers. This one got some big speakers. I'm, I'm blowing out everybody in the neighborhood. Stevie Wonder, I'm blowing everything, everybody out. And she knew that I wanted this, right? So I set it all up uh, Friday. I set it all up Friday because we want to roll. Set it up Friday. And, man, when it came time to, to turn it on, I, I, I put one of my commission records. My first record had to be commissioned, my favorite group, because I wanted to hear Mitch and Fred coming through those speakers and Carl and Keith. So I put commissioned on, and I hit play. And all I heard was, I couldn't hear it. I, like, it was coming through, but it wasn't blowing me away. I'm like, what's wrong? M maybe I need to go back and get some new cables. Because they kept telling me, you, do you need cables? I'm like, no, nah, man, there's cables in here, man. Do you need this? Do you need? I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm good. So I said, maybe I need some speaker cables. Uh, something wrong. So I got my kids, I'm, I'm away. Hey, take a picture of the back and send it to me. I'm going to send one to Tanner. Maybe Tanner can tell me something. I'm going to send one to another guy. Tell me what I'm doing wrong, something wrong. Do I need cable? What's up? So I approached it again, got home. I said, man, I'm not going back down and get me some cable. So I'm, something must be wrong. So I picked up the instruction manual. <laughs> which I should have done at first. Because, <laughs> you know, I didn't seen record players put together before. I, I got a doctorate. I don't need instructions for a record player. Mm. Evidently, there was this little thing on the back that I needed to switch from mono to stereo. And once I flipped it from mono to stereo, <laughs> your boy had his wig blown back. <laughs> just, just, just one little up. I just stopped by to tell somebody today, if, if things are mono in your relationship, it's just flat, it's just stale, it's boring, it's just not working the way you know it should work, or maybe the way that it used to work. Uh, uh, pick up the instruction manual, uh, take yourself over to Song of Solomon if you need some help, and ask God to turn that thing from mono to stereo. Fast and pray, Lord, say, Lord, would you do what you, if you could raise Jesus from the dead, I know you can raise this relationship, and watch him blow your wig back. <laughs> Watch him bless you. Watch him put the honey back in the moon. Amen. <laughs> yeah. All right, singles, I'm coming for you now. The word is coming. We're coming. Hang in there, singles and unmarried and widows, divorced folks. He's got a word for all of us. So let's stand on our feet for prayer. Again, Wednesday night, BBS, 6 o'clock, write your psalm. Also, um, I think we're, this is the last week we're collecting for the backpack drive. So make sure you read your emails that come out to you explaining the things that we're trying to do. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you, oh God, that we get to assemble together. And I'm humbled by 
this awesome responsibility to teach your people anything, yet alone, Lord, to talk about the covenant of marriage. I'm humbled. And Lord, I pray that anything I said that may be uh, misinterpreted, you would cause to fall to the ground and that your people would above all hear what you are saying in your word, that we would just not listen to a sermon, that we would just not read a book, but we would make sure we get alone with you and we open up the Bible and we let you speak to us so that we don't have to let the world continue to feed us uh, images and messages about sex and relationships. Help us, Lord, to be the peculiar people that you've called us to be, the chosen generation that we are. People have been called out of darkness and into the marvelous light. Lord, would you please revive, resuscitate, restore, renew, resurrect marriages that are hurting? Thank you for this new marriage ministry that you birthed at Strong Tower Bible Church. Pursue. You did it for such a time as this because you know we all need help and encouragement. We all struggle. We don't do it right all the time. Matter of fact, we do it wrong a lot of the time. But Lord, we're not by ourselves. And that's a ploy of the enemy to make us think our marriage is worse than everybody else's marriage. Lord, I pray you build real community in this church and that you get us beyond religion and wearing masks and telling people everything's okay when everything's not. I pray that you'll have some that you'll develop some vital community, small group relationships in this body where people can bear one another's burdens until we have the strength to carry our own load. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, as we come in a couple of weeks to those who are walking through divorce, people who have been divorced, people who are contemplating divorce, I pray as always, Lord, that you would comfort your people that you would bind up the brokenhearted. Because, Lord, when marriage is blessed, there's, there's nothing like it on earth. But when it's stressed, Lord, there's nothing like it on earth. So I pray that we would not grow weary in well-doing. We would not give up on you, give up on our spouse, give up on the institution of marriage. But, God, we'll trust you. We'll wait on you. And Lord, for our unmarried folks who are so content being single, Lord, who are serving your kingdom with joy, thank you for them. Thank you for giving balance in this church as pertains to the different kinds of people in the kingdom. Help us to be sensitive to other folks and not just focus on the state that we're in. But help us to think about states where other folks live so that we may encourage them, pray for them, and bless them. Lord, we need power, and I'm so glad we got power. And that's why I pray that you would do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or imagine, according to the power that's working in all of us in your church. To you be the glory, the majesty, the dominion, and the power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Would you hug about three, four, five people before you leave? Amen.